Oh, hi there. I didn't see you come in. Welcome back to the Better Call Saul Insider Podcast. I'm so glad you came back. Uh, I'm Chris McCaleb. I'm a co-host of this podcast. I'm the uh, solo host at the moment and just holding down the fort during this this strange time between part A and part B of this final season. And uh, with this third bonus pod, I wanted to kind of highlight some of the names that you've heard us talk about on the podcast throughout the years. I'm sort of like the podcast all-stars. There's the names that you hear like almost every episode. You'll hear somebody say, oh, Sherry did this or Phil did that. And uh, you're like, "Who? what? You know, who, who are those people? And, 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 you know, what is it about what, you know, what do they do really? And what is it about their job that, that makes everybody, you know, so complimentary and so appreciative of their work. So the first two that I wanted to spotlight are, uh, in fact, those names that I just mentioned as examples, Sherry Montesanto, who is the department head of makeup and also does special effects makeup and Philip Palmer, who is our production sound mixer. And uh, I had two really fun conversations with them, and uh, I would love to share them with you. Uh, Sherry is going to go first, and then uh, Phil is going to go is going to be second. So uh, I hope you enjoy these conversations. And without further ado, let's get right into my conversation with Sherry Montesanto. Okay, I want to introduce you guys. Uh, this is, you've heard her name so many times on the podcast and now you're actually going to get to hear straight from her. Uh, she is Sherry Montesanto. Hello. Hello. She's coming to us live. Where are you in Albuquerque right now? No, right now I'm on location with my husband in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Looking forward to getting back to Los Angeles, uh, one of these months, but yes. Oh, awesome. I, I, I am. I worked on a movie and I worked on the move, the first pitch perfect in Baton Rouge, uh, in 2011. And, uh, I liked Baton Rouge. Yeah. It's, um, it's different than I thought it is, but I like it, but I'm not going outside to be honest with you. I'm not working. <laughs> so I'm inside. It's like 90 degrees with 98% humidity. Yeah. It's all, yeah. All yeah. swamp all the time. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So t- what exactly is your position on Better Call Saul? Like, what is the, the like, tech, like, actual credit that you have? So I am the department head of makeup and special makeup effects. So it's really cool. Um, I like to do my shows that I get to help create the entire look. I like to do like the beauty and the beast, as we say. So I like <laughs> to like, you know, either do a nice sunset or, you know, a stormy uh, ocean. So it's really good when you have the creativity to work with the producers and the actors and the directors to create an entire look so it's all cohesive within the story. Right. And how do you even start that? Like how do you how do you approach this sort of the from the simpler versions to all the way through the the prosthetics? Like how do you what what does that look like? How does it start for you? Well, for me, I'm just really lucky because I have such a great relationship with the creators of the show and also with the actors. So my ultimate goal is to make the characters look appropriate. I want them to like, it's a, it's a prequel. So we make everyone younger on the show. Um, And then also I also, I never want people to look and say, Oh my God, that makeup is fantastic. I just want them to look and be like, wow, Saul looks incredible in this scene because he looks like Saul or that bullet wound looks real. I mean, that's, that's really what you want. I mean, your ego wants everyone to go like, Oh my God, you're so good. Mm -hmm. Uh, But to drive the story, you really don't want to take them out of the story. You want them just to be so engrossed and you want to help that. And that's really what my goals are when I'm creating makeups. How did you start? Like, how did you get into makeup? I mean, is it, has this been something you've been in like, your whole life or how did you get into it? I have been doing this my whole life. I did my first movie when I was 17. Whoa. Um, Yeah. I looked older and my mom and dad are in the makeup and hair business too, but they came from like the salon sides of it. Mm -hmm. And when I was 17, I had won a national uh, haircutting award at a um, local um, LA movie came into upstate New York. And I said, you know what? I'm going to interview for makeup. I mean, who would do this at 17? Just think like, they're going to hire a kid, right? So I went in and I interviewed. Well, they thought I was like 25. And they hired me to be the department head on a movie. 
just like out of, the, out of the blue, just, just no, yeah. <laughs> I'm, never done it before. No experience. I mean, I don't, <laughs> I don't know how I even, I just, when you're young and you don't have any like, like mind that thinks you can't do something or like mm-hmm. logic <laughs> when you're young, I right. use that like crazy logic to do something good instead of, you know, doing something crazy at 17. So I literally had to go to my high school and I was a senior and say, I need three months off because I'm going to go do a movie. <laughs> and they looked at me and said, you may not graduate. And I said, I don't care because I'm, this is what I want to do. Right. And they let me go and they let me come back and I did graduate. I just caught up. I don't even know how I did this. That's I, insane. Probably completely illegal to have a 17 year old <laughs> doing a, I didn't lie about my age. They just assumed I was older because I always looked older. And then they just so, went with it. Then they just, and they, just they were like, well, it. it's too late now. Like we're, we're, yeah. we're, we've really committed to this. <laughs> yeah. And then I met some actors and the director who all were from Los Angeles and they hired they hired me on their next project. So as soon as I graduated from high school, I got in my car and I drove to LA and been in LA ever since and knock on wood working ever since. Wow. Yeah. That's a wild origin story. Yeah. And so then and then so you first became uh associated with Vince on the X Files, right? That's right, yes. Now yep. talk about I mean I mean a show with with a lot of opportunities for special makeup effects. Were you doing that on that show as well? Yes, like, like I was. I was doing that. Character stuff. Yep. yep. And I also worked with, for some of our bigger like animatronics, I would work with um, Matthew Mungle, who had the shop to do like the, the bigger kind of animatronic stuff. Mm-hmm. But later in the seasons of X-Files, we really kind of got away from the big monstery type things and made monsters with smaller ways, I want to say. So like we would build upon actors more because I Mm -hmm. always feel like if the actors could be moving and not feel like they're covered in rubber, they give a better performance. So there's like little tricks to make something look horrific without like putting a whole like rubber mask over their head. Right. and, And that's never been my preference. So I've always been really appreciative that people trust me enough to know they're going to get what they want um, without having to do a giant rubber suit. Right. And you won three Emmys for the X-Files. Is that, did I, did I get right. that right? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that was awesome. That's incredible. Yeah. yeah. Three in a row. That was Whoa, really, yeah. Man. I just was like, the first time I'm like, oh, I don't know. The DP said, got to have a speech. And I'm like, I'm not going to win. And he's because I was up against like Buffy and those kind of shows. And I never really put up a big monstery show. So I was just like, all right. So I kind of like wrote something like when I was taking a bath. And then I remember being in the auditorium and it was the category before makeup. And I kind of took out my my um, speech and then I put it back in my purse like before my category came up and my date at the time said, Oh no, 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 you need it. You might win. And I said, no, I think I'm going to win. And I know exactly what I'm going to say. And I just went up uh, there and not. Whoa. So it was pretty cool. Yeah, it was pretty cool. There's, yeah. So it there, was um, nice. <laughs> Having been, I've been nominated a few times. I've never won an Emmy, but yeah. uh, I, there's but almost nothing more. Oh, <laughs> well, thanks. There's nothing, almost nothing more <laughs> embarrassing after the fact than, when you've practiced your speech that you don't give, yeah. I've definitely, I've yeah. had that experience. So I think maybe winging it, maybe being like, I'm going to do it. And, and here's what I'm going to say. And I'm not going to worry too much about it. I, I like that. That's a much better, that's like a much it is, it was saner, fun. healthier yeah. attitude, I think. And I'm Italian, so I'd never have a problem talking. So, <laughs> <laughs> so when did you start on, on Saul? Was it season three? Yeah, season three, I started on Saul. When when Breaking Bad was around, when it first started, I was mm-hmm. on a show in Los Angeles, and I couldn't leave uh, the show because it was like, I was deep into it. It was 24 episodes. Um, Breaking Bad had six episodes. Right. I know Vince reached out to me. He understood why I couldn't leave. Boy, what a bad ca- career move that was. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness. You never uh, I know mean, that, though. I mean, yeah, how could you, you, you possibly don't know. know? No. Yeah. But then when the series finale came up, they had called me because the makeup artist had to leave. And then they said, do you want to come and do our series finale? And I really, really did and didn't. 
I couldn't because I was working on a movie with Sam Raimi, so I couldn't leave that. But it was bittersweet because I loved the show, mm -hmm. but then I didn't want to ruin the whole show by knowing <laughs> the last <laughs> part of it only. So that didn't work out. And then when Saul came about, um, my little girl was uh, very young. She was like two. And wow. I just could not move to Albuquerque mm -hmm. um, at that time. So when I was able to and it became available, they hired me on season three. Oh, that's awesome. I will say, I mean, it is a, it is a common thread that at people from the actors to the directors and producers, anytime they're on the podcast, that's like not an episode goes by that somebody doesn't mention you and some great thing that you did. I mean, I think it's, it's easy to, to not think about the fact that when Jimmy is sunburned, from be you know yeah. from the end of season five in through the beginning of this season yes. it's 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 easy to just think like oh well he's sunburned and you know what a you know that's of course he's sunburned they shot out in the desert and you know he got sunburned but like that's how many like how much makeup like how long <laughs> does that take for you to turn bob into sunburned jimmy uh like how how, how what is what's the process of that well, it was interesting because we shot Sunburn Jimmy in 2019. <laughs> <laughs> That's and right. And then we shot Sunburn Jimmy in 2021. So other than the pandemic sucking my brain out, I just wanted to make <laughs> sure everything was, uh, you know, accurate, especially because right. I'm such a detail freak. But to make him sunburned, you know, you would think, oh, she slaps a little orange or brown on it. No, it is at least five layers of different wow. shades from going from his, and he's pretty pale in, in real life, but mm -hmm. I also did some drying and some uh, crow's feet around his eyes to make him look weathered. Mm -hmm. So we, we started with that, then we did a tan, and then we stipple on a color of red, then we stipple on another color of a brown, then we stipple on another color of a, a light purple, and then another brown. And then the final thing is uh, a color that's really just called sunburn. And you just have <laughs> the high points of, of the face. And then, you know, you have to watch out for like, okay, well, he was wearing a shirt, so we got to make sure it stops where the shirt would have stopped. Mm -hmm. So it's okay if you see a peak of his real skin out of there, you know? It's right. okay that it's it only goes up to, yeah, where his sleeves were rolled up. And also, because he wore that T-shirt on his head for most of it, I made a definite line where the T-shirt was. Mm -hmm. So if you notice in some shots, you can see um, at the end of season five and also the beginning of season six, there is a definite line from his suntan or sunburn to his normal skin which kind of faded out through the first episodes of the season six. And we added like a peeling skin on his nose and stuff in season six for like a sunburn peeling off his nose and a high point off of his uh, eyebrow. See, these are the kind of details that I love. I love that little, like, yeah. I mean, but that stuff, it makes a difference because your brain, when you're watching it, you just, you just buy it. You buy everything that's happening and, you go along with it and it just seems real. I, yeah, I mean, thank you. You were, you were talking earlier, I, mean, I don't even remember if it was if we had started or not, but the uh the Lalo alike. Like the yes. the, the so so are you telling me that that guy just didn't look like that? Well, first of all, like the the, the guy they cast came in, really nice actor. He came in and he's got very small eyes. Like mm -hmm. really really small eyes. Not a very much of an eyelid. Handsome, but not, it doesn't look like Tony Dalton. And he didn't have the little like crown line here. His forehead didn't have the little lines that Tony has. And Tony's got a distinct nose. And um, this other gentleman did not. Now, of course, no one sees him. He comes in and we do makeup tests, which is great. The show always did a lot of makeup tests, which is perfect because... Everyone can sign off. Everyone knows what they like. The day of, everyone be like, yeah, we like, you know, choice seven. And that's then that's what we do. So that makes the actors comfortable, the director comfortable, producers, everyone's on the same page. Right. Sometimes there is a little alteration, obviously, but generally we know what we're doing when we go into it. Always appreciated the abundance of makeup tests. But we do a test on him, and I'm like, he has no 
like eyelid like Tony. So I literally added eyelids to him to open <laughs> his eyes. Right. And then he didn't have the same shape of nose. So I had to sculpt a nose onto his nose. What? To make it. Yeah. To make it do that. And I did that with silicone. Really fine layers of silicone right onto him. Um, we gave him some of the weathering. Um, obviously, we gave him a big beard before he shaved. Um which was a big, big beard, but that's sure what was. they want. They wanted that. They wanted like a, a ZZ, ZZ top beard, a ZZ top beard. So um, we did some test. We did some testing on that. And that's what everyone liked and chose. And then uh, when when he shaves, we had to take him back to the trailer. And then the only thing that was real on the actor was kind of the mustache. Mm. So we had to like shave his real mustache and add some hair because it's really weird. You don't think about it, but every guy grows a different type of mustache. You that's know what true. I mean? So uh, to make it to make it look like that. So that's what we did. And I just like remembered after the episode, my husband's like, oh my God, they found a guy that looked just like him. And I said, well, here, let me show you a picture. <laughs> like, oh man, nobody will know you did that. I said, I know, but no, they, it, it yeah, worked. We, we, we didn't find a guy who looked just like him. We, we found yeah. Sherry. We had Sherry. <laughs> this guy i can't believe you put eyelids i mean no i would it, never think that that is something that some that, that we would do that anybody would do well i like the i like doing that kind of stuff now look they didn't come to me and say hey put eyelids on him do this and that mm -hmm. he looked enough like him but mm -hmm. I, that's not okay with me i want him to look as much like him as i can so i do as whatever i can to 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 do this. This is what I love to do. This is what makes me happy. I love the character work. It just makes me feel like if you're going to be somewhere for 16 hours a day, you might as well do the best job you can. Oh, yeah. Otherwise, you should just stay home. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, I totally agree because it is. It's, yeah. it's a lot. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of hours. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. I mean, there's been there was, the you know, in the last year, you know, there's been the whole, you know, there was the IATSE, the near strike and sort of just shining yeah. a light on the kind of hours that we work. And, and if you don't love it and you don't love the people you're working with, it, it's a real grind. Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah. so, yeah, it's, it really pays to actually love what you're doing. Um, talk, talk about, uh, I mean, some of the stuff that you did with Nacho this season, like yeah. the, like making him all beat up, uh, covering him in oil. We talked a little bit on the 603 podcast with uh, Michael Mando and, and Gordon about that. But what what was what was that? Uh, how did it, what, what was the process of like oiling him up and then and then later, you know, beating the shit out of him? That was uh, that was pretty cool. And it was a little bit of a challenge because before he goes into the oil, he has some injuries on his face. Well, obviously right. injuries are makeup and you take makeup off with like removers, water, oil, you know, right. and it's like, okay, so we have to make this last through oil. So um, our special effects team, Warner and his guys, they're great. They came up with something to test. And then knowing that, Michael has sensitive skin. Mm -hmm. uh, we had to come up with something that was edible, something that could go in his eyes and not hurt him, something that would stay on his face and look like oil. And there was a real big vat of oil. So we got a sample of the color that was approved. And then we basically made this out of like Hershey syrup, Caro syrup. Um, we used some... Um, Fructose that we mm -hmm. colored with cocoa powder. Uh, what else did we use? We just had to keep going until we got the color right. And something that wouldn't stain his skin. Because when he initially did a test where his body just went into the uh, oil that effects made, mm -hmm. no no fault of theirs, but he came out and his skin was yellow. Oh, my God. From what, yeah. So what we're like, oh, we can't, yeah, yeah. So we didn't want that on his face, obviously. And, and he is really, he has super sensitive eyes. So we just wanted to make it like something that is edible. And then when we were done with him, we just licked it off of him. Now, um, so that's what we did for that. And that was good. And then we just made huge amounts of that. 
and uh, we shared it with wardrobe and stuff like that. And um, there was different stages of him with the oil. So we had to like really take great continuity photos and make it real and make it look like, like towards the end, we used some uh, stuff called Illustrator Palette, which is like an alcohol-based makeup. And we would put streaks of brown mm -hmm. and black under the oil. So like in the scene where he's washing off, it would be really hard for him to come out pristine clean. So we had this well, other course. like remnants under that would not wash off when he had the hose. So, yeah. Guys, so yeah, it's so you, you have to have such a deep knowledge of it, not only makeup, but also it's like chemistry. And it, there, that's like there's a there's a real besides the art, which is evident. There's like a there is science that you have to know a, a I mean, not even a little bit. I mean, just just what you said that I don't even I, of, of course, I mean, you say it out loud, of course, it makes sense that it would have to be edible, that that it would have to not hurt his eyes. And I don't I don't even know where you'd start with that. <laughs> with making I always sure use like, food. Ah. I don't know. It's weird. Like my entire career starting on X-Files, like I've always used food and like like on Howard, you know, some of the uh, exit wound was like yogurt and uh, pieces of date because it looks mushy. And you know what I mean? So I always mm -hmm. like to incorporate foods because they have such great textures. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I just and they're really, real, really, I'm, organically. They're real. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I shy away from as much as possible uh, just using the conventional, hey, Somebody's got an exit wound. Let's get a, you know, prosthetic and slap it on their head. Well, yeah, maybe we can use some silicone, but why not add some yogurt? Why not add some dates? Why not add some, like, when I use, like, I have to show a bone, I'll get, like, rawhide bone the dogs chew on, the white color, and I'll incorporate that into my prosthetic piece because it looks so awesome, and it has such great texture in HD that you kind of see all the pores and stuff. So it's mm -hmm. kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's you're you're saying that it, it reminds me how many times during this show we beat our characters up and they look like shit for like episodes and episodes. Like, I mean, uh, Kim was super beat up in most of season four after her accident. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jimmy was like crazy beat up after the the i mean a bunch of times it's like every yeah. season he gets he gets pretty pretty messed up um at mike um but i'll also there's what there's one more as i i don't want to keep you too long but uh talk talk a little bit about what you did for howard and and earlier for jimmy um when they to sell the the drug thing the uh like were you doing anything to make them yeah sweat or like how what what yeah. is that what is that like so when howard was you know doing the you know with the drug thing and stuff we just subtly uh did something with a little bit of a light maroon around mm -hmm. his eyes i mean mm -hmm. obviously really subtly and then if you line the eye with like uh a deep reddish maroon color and of course i have to keep saying subtly otherwise you look like weird it'll make your eyes look watery and what we did on the close-ups of him we're not allowed to use menthol blowers anymore menthol blowers were an apparatus where you'd blow mm -hmm. menthol fumes would hit an eye and make them watery well because of covid you can't be blowing on people mm. <laughs> so a friend of mine made a menthol blower laverne made a menthol blower that you could use your fingertips with ah. so when we would get super close on the eyes we would just do a teeny tiny little bit of that and the eyes would become glassy. And we did that a lot on uh, Michael Mando on his episode too for his ah. burning eye look mm -hmm. after the oil. We would blow menthol in his eyes so his eyes would look glassy, especially in the close-ups. It's really effective. That's another yeah. thing you don't think about. And it's 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 true with, with sound that we try to get like absolute pristine sound so that we can add all the noise back in. So yeah. and then and then it's like you you uh, you 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 create this makeup that's not going to actually sting his eyes, and then you have to make it look like his eyes are stinging. It's so exactly. It's, it's, it's so uh, movies are so yeah. fake. Yeah, uh, yeah, man. yeah. <laughs> it's so fun. And then for sweat, um, I years ago I came up with using vitamin E because it's so good for your skin. 
Oh. And vitamin E will just stay as sweat. Just vitamin like an e oil will, or? Yeah, vitamin E oil. So I just get vitamin E oil and we stipple it on. And it's funny because people are so used to glycerin, which is what generally is used on sweat. Mm-hmm. But glycerin, uh, it's not bad for your skin, but it will eventually dry. And it, then it leaves like a little residue. Mm. So people are so used to glycerin. If they don't see me running in every two seconds adding the vitamin E, they're like, does he need more sweat? And I'm like, <laughs> it's not going to go <laughs> until I wipe it off. I promise you. And then their skin's really nice for the next time you, you're you know working with them. Their skin looks beautiful. You're not fighting bad skin from something you did the day before. Not the glycerin's bad, but in general is what I'm saying. Yeah, you know, you know yeah, that just, you made me... Th- that you brought that up the aftercare with makeup like how is is that something that you get involved in and or in in trying to facilitate actors that making sure that they take care of their skin app because it's a it's a lot to put to to apply and remove that much makeup every day i mean what how how do you advise them and 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 what what's the best way to take care of your skin? I, now I'm just asking for myself. This is yeah, just selfish no. stuff. This is why you host <laughs> no, a podcast. It, you get the information. <laughs> well, pre-COVID, mm-hmm. um, our main cast would all come in every day and get their makeup removed because we would use really good makeup products and make sure everything looked good. After COVID, you know, that's not after COVID, but when we start filming during COVID. Right. They didn't want actors spending more time together in the makeup trailer than necessary. Of course. So unless they had a special makeup, like Michael Mando would come in, or Howard, you know, Patrick would come in, obviously, to get that kind of stuff taken off. Or when Bob had, you know, Bob had special makeup. And a lot of our cast, because it's a prequel, had little tiny tricks done to them to take a few years off, Mm -hmm. which is something that I would remove, right? Um, but for those that didn't come in our main cast, they all had like care baskets of the skincare products that would be good for them. Mm. And they all had hot uh, towel warmers in their trailer, hot towels in their trailer, everything they needed to take off their makeup themselves if, if they were not able or not allowed to come back into the trailer. So that's, we all oh, that's so awesome. Up. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. and it, like, you know, you could think that that's pampering or you know, but it, it, it's not, I mean, that it's, it's a big part. I mean, their body is their instrument. And so right. taking care of it and making sure that their skin is, you know, uh, healthy is, is important because they got to put that makeup on that. You got to put that makeup on the next day. Yeah. And, and it's better than to try to cover like pimples the next day. You know what I mean? Because that's hard, especially mm-hmm. on HD where everything is highlighted in shadow and it gets caught and everything's magnified and, Maybe not such a great way sometimes, you know. And how many people are on your team? Like it's it's working under you. Well, that's what I really, really want to tell you is I have a fantastic makeup team in Albuquerque. Mm-hmm. I wish I could bring them to California. I can't because they're not in my local. But Ashlyn Padilla has been my key makeup artist. Well, even before uh, Better Call Saul, we started together on a show called The Night Shift that we filmed in Albuquerque. She's fantastic. Uh, Jael Rojas is my makeup artist. I met him on Better Call Saul. He had just moved here from Mexico City. Fantastic. And I had help with uh, Shannon McChristy, who was one of my makeup team, uh, and uh, Catherine Lawrence. Really great, great people. The kind of people that, first of all, are very talented makeup people, but we had each other's backs at all times. If I couldn't be on set with Bob or Ray, I knew they were being taken care of by my team and that, that was important. You know, it's important to have a great team with you. And we had a shorthand. I mean, when we would work together, like doing Mando, all of us, would be jumping in on Mando, (laughs) you know, I mean, we all like, because we don't have a lot of time, you know, they don't want to be like, Oh, he's got two hours of makeup. No, we want him done in 45 minutes. Well, Mm -hmm. that's adding scratches, sealing scratches, putting this, putting that, his hands, his neck, Covering his hat. I mean, it's like so much. And everyone would just have a little area and we'd all do it together. And and I love them and I'm going to really miss them. And I hope I get back to Albuquerque to work with them again someday. Maybe on the next spinoff. Yeah, whatever, that whatever, awesome. whatever that's going to be. <laughs> you know what's weird is I literally have dreams about the show still. I mean, like I wow. feel like I'm in the makeup trail. It's like so. it was so consuming 
in a good way mm-hmm. and being at it since season three and then obviously season six, you know, we worked at it for about a year. Yeah. It was and, an, o- an odyssey this, this whole yeah, season. Yeah. Well, this is really fun. And, and, uh, I, I do also want to uh, give a deep tease for the second half of this season. Um, if, uh, eagle eyed viewers, you maybe catch a glimpse of Sherry on screen. Uh, in a future episode, I'm not going to say where. I'm not going to say <laughs> with whom, but but uh, but you you just might see Sherry uh, on screen <laughs> in a later. And episode. my better half, and my better half. <laughs> oh yes. Um, so well, Sherry, thank you so much for for making the time. Anytime, and time, Chris. And uh, you this did was, a fantastic this, job this too, awesome. man. Oh, thank you very much. I yeah. I can't. I can't, I can't wait, by the way, I can't wait for you and everybody to see episode because like we just, we're just like finishing our cut of it now, like the, yeah. the, the producer's cut and it's really, it's really special. And I know, I know what a completely insane task it was for everybody in Albuquerque yeah. and it was, it was uh, equally crazy for us in the editing room, but I, I everybody did such a great job and I it's, can't wait to see it. I haven't seen four yet. I have to see four, but my husband won't let me watch it without him <laughs> and he's working crazy hours. He's a first AD and I'm like, dude, so we're oh. going to watch it tonight. But I have to tell you, we had a million laughs making Bob look like Howard. Oh, my God. The oh, teeth yeah. and all that. We just, it was hard. We were dying when we were doing the, the makeup on him. It was it was so fun. So did, I can't did, wait to see it. I'm going to watch it tonight. Yeah, the, the teeth really <laughs> takes it to another level. It was so fun. Yeah. We had fun in the trailer, too, because we had to test all different ways to do it. So all the, like, Ashlyn and Jai, I was like, do it on me, do it on me. And then after you do it and you take it off, you're like, oh, I don't like my real teeth. <laughs> I wish they were that white. I'm like, no, that's a little extreme. <laughs> that's a little extreme. Awesome. <laughs> well, well, I'll thank get you. your info and I'll send you those oh, yeah. photos. Yeah. Oh, please, please do. All right. Isn't she awesome? I can't believe the story about her first job is just crazy to me. And uh, I, I love that she shared that. And it's astonishing the work that she did. She is just, yeah, you know, she's she's every bit as good as as everybody says she is. So I'm really grateful that she took the time to talk with us. And I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. And now on to my conversation with Philip Palmer. It's good to see you, man. It's uh I mean, although, you know, in a tiny box or a big box, actually. It is great. I mean, I, I don't get to see you guys enough. I, I pop my head in every once in a while and uh but you guys are working really hard <laughs> and, and I, and I don't want to stop the process, but it's, it's always, it's great to communicate. I try and send you guys as many, um, emails of, of, uh, strange situations as I can. I mean, well, that's a, that's a good place to start talking because I, I, I've, I've never had direct contact with a production sound mixer in my life, uh, other than like stuff I've directed, like that, that's the only stuff where you have a direct contact. And I think it's a testament to you and the artistry that you bring to it and the 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 passion that you have to actually make things great instead of just, uh, I got what I got, you know, deal with it. They'll just replace this later. But yeah, you're, you're and, and we talk, you've, I mean, anybody listening to this has heard us talk, you know, on and on on the podcast about how, clean your audio is i think that many the 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 term the cleanest in the biz has been bandied about many times um like so what what is it about your approach to audio that's so different and and why 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 people love you so much phil well thanks so much um i uh, first of all um i'm glad this is an audio only podcast because um i'm I'm kind of turning red right now. Um, I don't know what's different about the way I approach it. I, I, I have to say that, that the mentors that I came up with in the business were um, approached the audio in the same way that I do, and you know, which is a, the way I learned. You know, mm-hmm. um, and it was to be a partner with the editorial team, um, not to just be the first link in a long chain of uh 
editorial events, you know, uh, right. acquisition and handoff yeah. to content, content, you know, uh, it, that's not the way I was brought up in it. You know, we're a, uh, we're a partnership in the team. Also, when I started, um, I, there was a lot less people involved. <laughs> sure. <laughs> you know, and, and so I've been doing this a hunk of time and, and, and I found that, um, the more that I can do on my end, um, the better chances of what I actually recorded, uh, have the better chance of what I've done has of making it to the screen and eventually to someone's ears. And so much to so often, uh, the initial shock of a new director that I work with when, when they think, boy, this guy's talking to me a lot. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I take pride in what I record. So it's important that I, um, that I do that. And that also when there's problems or, or anything a little different, uh, coming down the pipe that I alert folks like yourself that, mm -hmm. uh, to be on the lookout for it. I could think of a scene in uh, season five. It was a uh, five Oh seven episode directed by Melissa Bernstein. And it's this location that's right outside the courthouse where all the picnic tables are. <laughs> oh and, and you, you, you sent me a, a, a picture of like what, what was ha like, it, it was like they, you tried so hard cause mm -hmm. there was like a, like a, like a, like an industrial like the fan or something for the whole building is right there. Yeah, it was the exhaust vent That's um, for the entire courthouse um, was coming, was was ported about 12 feet from where they had chosen this fantastic location for this mm -hmm. dialogue. And uh, I'm never, uh, rarely am I ever on the location scout to uh, perhaps bring up uh, <laughs> difficult situations right. <laughs> or things that they might want to think about. Practical um, concerns. And, right. Concerns. Right. Good word. And uh, so often somebody will have been on said tech scout and say, so they picked it. They just fell in love with this spot <laughs> and it's right next to something that makes a whole bunch of noise. It's inside of a working airplane. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and so, you know, just so you know, and then yeah. they'll walk away and then I start this, you know, thread of emails and questions. So this particular one, we, the vent was howling away because of, you know, it, it's the uh, facilities of the, the Albuquerque courthouse. And um, they set this uh, scene up, which was so pivotal to what happens in the story. Mm -hmm. And it happened to be when she comes with the idea of we're going to get married and, right. uh, <laughs> and it's, it's a quiet scene. It's a very quiet contemplative, like, you know, they're so almost halting. Like, are we really going to do this? And yeah, it's an intimate they, scene really between are. two. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and that scene sounds great. And there's actually, there's, you know, there is ADR in there, but right. there's also some production audio in there. It's kind of a mix, which is a, I mean, a testament to, you know, the, how hand in hand y you and your, what, what you bring, you know, you know, then works with Nick and Catherine and their whole team, Larry and, and Kevin are mixers. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, a it, it's a kind of astonishing that that scene, you know, sounds, sounds like you wouldn't have any idea that there's a, an exhaust vent that's, that's right there that you can hear it at all. It's yeah. actually because when we were doing it, they couldn't hear each other. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, when they, that's when they crazy. spoke in normal, when they spoke in normal voice, so they kind right. of spoke up a little bit, which helped. Uh, and we, you know, we covered the exhaust vent with as much, uh, furniture padding as we could and, and grip the, our, our phenomenal grip team built these, they just, with as fast as they could, they built these barriers and they hung them and they, we created as much of a tent around our, our, our actors, you know, Bob and Ray as we could without blocking too much light. And, um, and then we, you know, and then I had a wire on each one of them and then I hung a microphone out there and I, I just, you know, in my own words, I'm going to record it. Mm -hmm. And, 
And, uh, and then I sent all the info that we were doing this to you along with some pictures. Right. And then I sent the same info to Catherine and Nick, mostly Catherine, because I'll, I'll forward that to her and, and I'll say, these are the microphones that I used. And this is the situation. And when she gets in ADR, she, she uses the same microphones. So we have the same um, uh, sonic uh, acquisition mm-hmm. device. Mm-hmm. Uh, she has a controlled environment. I have an uncontrolled environment. Right. And, uh, and then I grabbed a bunch of um, sort of ambience off, just off to the side of this so that she could kind of blend the two and make them sound similar. And she's, she's absolutely amazing. I, I, I often can't believe when she says, oh, that line's ADR, that one isn't. And I, right. can't, I can't. I can't tell. Oh well, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I mean, you'd be able to tell on the mixed stage sometimes because they, yeah, because you they, you you'd knock out everything else, and then all of a sudden they're in a booth. But once right. they once Larry and Kevin get to it, it's mm-hmm. it's such a phenomenal um, sound team. Oh yeah. Uh, both in, you know well, from starting with you. Well, I also can't take credit for everything that I do. I've got two people who work with me mm-hmm. who if. Uh, I didn't have them working as hard as they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd be, uh, you wouldn't, we probably wouldn't be having such a friendly conversation. <laughs> <laughs> what are, what are their names? The, the, the um, folks yeah. who work with you out there. Uh, most, for most of the run, it's been Mitchell Gebhardt has been my boom operator. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's worked with me. Uh, he started working with, with me um, back when I did uh, all of the seasons of Glee. He was, uh, uh, he was my sound utility, my third, third on the team for Glee. And uh, he had his hands full on that and, and uh, really, really honed his skills. And then uh, my utility for the last couple of years has been Andrew Chavez. And he, he started out as a, a pretty green um, utility, had, had some experience, but, but uh, we threw him into the fire when, when we did uh, El Camino, the mm. movie. And uh, he has since become a phenomenal sound person in the Albuquerque area. And I just hope that every time I go back that he's available. <laughs> <laughs> how, you know, how I'm thinking about this. How often do you get pushback from directors, producers, line producer, ADs when you're trying to say, you know, when, when you're like, for example, and jump in with your own, you know, uh, scenarios. But one, a thing that happens a lot on, especially in television is cause just for sketch for time to make the day to get the shots, you might shoot, you know, multiple cameras at the same time. And one of them might be a wide shot and one of them might be a close up, And that would limit your ability to have a, a boom or two booms or any, mm-hmm. or, you know, clean audio and you, mm-hmm. you rely more on, uh, the, the body mics, the lavalier microphones. Um, mm-hmm. so uh, talk, talk a bit about the, the, the perils of that and why, why those are different. And, and if you get pushback on that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's a it's four part a deli- question. Go. Yeah. It's, it's a, mo- yeah, go, uh, <laughs> not a yes or no question. No. Um, it, it's a, it's a, it's a delicate balance, right? You gotta you gotta pick your battles. Um, I, I often will. Um, I don't. I try not to um, go into uh, a conversation with the director DP. I try and <laughs> I try and just start from from the the DP and work my way to the director and AD. Um, and and I try not to go with go to them with a. I just can't do this. Um, I try and go go to them with, uh, how important is that wide shot and tight shot? Could we <laughs> add a? Could could we do, you know, come to come to them with uh, uh, some sort of uh, middle ground? Could mm-hmm. we could we just widen out a little bit on that tight shot and then punch in twice on two cameras and get two tight shots on the next round, versus shoot this wide and tight together? Could we do a wide and a medium? where I would be on wires for both of those. Right. And when I say wires, I mean that that's the lavalier mic that is buried sometimes under, under two layers of clothing. And, uh, and, and then, and then the next setup is the two tight shots 
you know, a medium tight and a tight tight or mm-hmm. something like that. And then it allows me to get booms in for those shots. Right. And so I, we've both gotten what we want. Um, so often the wide and tight shot are done just out of, uh, uh, you know, a chase, uh, chasing the clock. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, um, we just try and find a middle ground. Are you going to go in for another tighter shot? Yes. So you've already worked it out that you're going to have two setups in this. Can right. we just change this orientation of the setup so that it works for both of us versus just for you? And right. sometimes there is no way. Sometimes they say, we just can't. This is all it is. Of and course. then I got to figure out a way to do it. It's part of my job, right? I got to figure it out. Um, but uh, But sometimes there's a compromise that works well for both of us. Um, and, uh, you know, sometimes there isn't, but it, it, I try and go into the conversation with the, um, the, the creative folks and the, you know, and the financial folks, uh, as uh, bringing something to the equation. If I just go in and say, I can't do that, I'm going to get chased off the set. And then they're just going to see me coming and go. Right. Well, then you're (laughs) difficult. You're difficult and you're not, There's no reason. You're just like, well, it's got to be my way. But sure. Why, from a technical standpoint, why is it? And, and I, I, I do know the answer to this question, but I bet a lot of people listening don't. But why is it preferable to you and to everyone down the line on the sound team to have um, audio from a boom microphone uh, as opposed to um, the the lavalier? Well, I'll say this first. Sometimes, sometimes it isn't right. You know, sometimes I'm in an environment where the boom mic is, it's just not, it's just not going to work. But most of the time, most of the time, uh, and I'm going to say almost 90% of the time, I can, if we hang a microphone uh, held by a professional boom operator uh, right over the person speaking, whether it's a shotgun mic or a hypercardioid interior microphone, that's going to sound infinitely better than a two millimeter diaphragm microphone buried under two layers of clothing getting rustled around uh, in their clothing as they move around. So the si- the actual size of the of the capsule, right? Is is I I got you know I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. I, the, the clothing is is always what I think of. So you're create you're you're putting lay. I mean, you think about you know we've spent the last few years wearing masks. Right, you know, you're. That's what everybody sounds like. That's that's what everybody sounds like with a. That's a great example. Yeah, that's what everybody sounds like on a wireless microphone. They sound like somebody's talking to you through a mask. Right, right. And except sometimes they also sound like they're. Yeah, I don't know if that came through. My it did. It totally did. Yeah. This uh, (laughs) this 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 microphone, which I think you would be you would be very upset at the substandard uh, microphone apparatus that I have in front of me right now. You, you have like a professional mic <laughs> on a stand. This is a, this, this, this fly by night uh, insider podcast operation is uh, we're, we're just getting by this, the, the skin of our teeth. So, <laughs> well, you can uh, take a screen cap of our, of our, uh, of our journey here and, and, and relay this with your friends on Twitter and, and Instagram. So uh, I, I, I give you permission. Well, all right. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it is. It's, it's the, you know, the microphone suspended from a boom above, uh, above an actor, perfectly placed so that it's aiming right at their, you know, the, the, their mouth. And, uh, and it's a larger diaphragm microphone um, in a shock mount with some wind protection versus a, you know, microphone buried under a couple layers of clothing that, you know, I'm just sort of sweating all day to make sure that it doesn't sound like it's being rustled under that clothing. Right. And sometimes that's all I got, you know, sometimes that's, yeah. you know, like when we did, when we did, uh, the now infamous scene in the desert with, uh, with Jonathan and Bob, you know, mm-hmm. when their, their journey of, of, of taking the, 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 the money, sure. you know, bag um, man. Uh, 508 uh, bagman 508 it was uh, you know that a lot of that episode was on the labs because we just played it wide right mm-hmm. you know there was we there weren't too many shots where we didn't get a version of it close but we played a lot of that wide because it was as the you know uh the story dictated uh these wide shots right. and it the story didn't work if if it was a bunch of close-ups you know they could have been just standing in your backyard but 
Um, so a lot of that episode played on the wires. Mm-hmm. Um, although there's one scene that I got to hand it to uh, our creative uh, folks for deciding that they wanted to do it on stage. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, and I don't know if I don't know if anybody watching it knows, but the campfire scene w- was was we we shot that on stage. And yeah, I, I I can't remember if we talked about it on that on the podcast. Um, but but I I did know I did I I knew that maybe we've talked about it. I don't think we kept it a secret. Yeah, it was just it was so perfectly blended to the this wide expanse of this space that you know multiple episodes have shot out there and it's it's just it was hot as could be and and then we too hot for snakes famously i've got a t-shirt that's right (laughs) Uh, and you know for you what like what is the hardest type of scene to record is it a driving scene where you lose contact with the transmitter is it is it the you know the location that nobody checked with you first and it turns out it's it's uh it's it's inside the uh large hadron collider and it's uh, you know or it's 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 inside an mri machine like what what are what what that would be although i would love i mean it would destroy your microphone because of magnets but well we got some there's some fake there's some fake units out there that we use you know uh in fact i i just shot in one for a movie but um yeah well it was a, they don't make it, that it, sound it was a yeah it was fake and so they add all that but um you know uh hardest situation i think you know every that's the coolest coolest and most sort of terrifying thing about our business is that uh especially shows like better call Saul, which we're we're not on stage every day you know we're mm-hmm. out we're out in practical um sets uh the majority of our filming every day is uh, a problem solving uh, experiment right right rarely is it we just get up they stand there and they talk or they walk up to the microphone and talk you know uh, i i always (laughs) refer to those as park and bark (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they walk the up. opposite of a walk and talk a right and it's bark. a park and bark right they walk up they stop they talk they finish talking and they walk away right that's a park and bark and uh and uh, my apologies to all your uh, all of our actors who are listening and it was not um meant in any bad way but that's what it is <laughs> and um, and uh and so it's a challenge, you know, it's like we, we car, car things are super difficult because we're always trying to do, especially on Saul and, and, and any show that wants to push the envelope, we don't do a shot or a setup that, that is like the given, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, you know, you set up standard the, coverage, set up the wide shot, yeah. punch in for a two shot, single, single, sometimes over, over done. We don't do that. We right. we try and find the shot that is different, that mm-hmm. is not what is the first shot that comes to mind. And with that, um, challenges start putting themselves in, right? Mm-hmm. And so car shots, um, always difficult. I, you know, I'll go back to Bagman, right? And uh, there's that uh bob as saul is driving the the his the, the esteem uh and he's driving along and he's singing along he's he's making up words to a song to uh i think it's uh 100, 100 bottles of beer on the wall or something like that <laughs> right and uh the first take he just drove away and then i lost it and i mm-hmm. you know and and vince said i, I didn't hear what it would happen after he drove away. And I said, well, neither did I. Yeah. <laughs> it's because he drove away. Because <laughs> he drove away. So yeah. I got to figure out a new way to do this now that I know what we're doing. And <laughs> Vince laughed and he said, okay, good. I thought it was just me. And, and, and I said, no, we need another one. And, you know, and so I, I got another rig and I parked, uh, put, a, put a rig into the car itself, uh, a recorder set to... Um, I call it, uh, you, you hit record and hit the record and run. You just hit record button and you kind of set it at a conservative level and you mm-hmm. you pray that it sounds good when they finish. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. You know, sometimes that's the only thing you can do. Right. And because Bob 
he just loved driving that esteem. <laughs> he just he just hit the gas pedal whenever he got in it. And anytime we tried to follow behind him, he'd leave us in the dust. He did, you know, a lot of people don't necessarily assume that that's Bob actually driving the car, but he, he did drive the, the actual esteem a lot more than you might think. Most <laughs> of the time, yeah. Bob drove it. Yeah. And he's really good at it. Like he was good at, at precision. I mean, parking it in exactly the right spot that it needs. Cause it's, you know, when, when you've set up a camera, you know, f- that, that needs to be there right when the thing, when, when the. Uh, when the uh, a car lands, you need to land in exactly the same the the right spot for focus and for framing. And yeah, Bob was really good at it. Yeah, and I I think that that esteem had all of a one wheel drive. I think it was a one wheel drive car. Man, <laughs> I don't I'm not sure both front wheels actually worked. And and he would he could just get that thing going, and it would. You know, I when when we finally said goodbye to that vehicle, I don't think it was going to go much much further you know <laughs> um but uh he you know he he on that road he was hauling on that road mm-hmm. and uh he left it like because we were in a van right behind it at a because it was a camera on the uh passenger side so it had you know shot of him talking and and uh or singing along Mm-hmm. And so we could we could be right behind him, and it wouldn't have made any difference. We would just been, you know, choking on all the dust of the the esteem. But but he left us because uh, we were in a passenger van with <laughs> antennas and everything mounted on the roof, and he right. just took off. And finally, we I, well after the first take, I said we're going to do this a little different. And uh, and then after each take, uh, I would pull the recorder out and and let uh, Vince listen to it and you know, get the okay, yep, that was good, or let's do it again, or whatever. And it was fun watching Vince, because he would laugh every time. Because <laughs> uh, Bob would make up new words to the song each time. Bob is so good. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's also, it's crazy how, what, how he has elevated as an actor, the nuance that he brings to it, and uh, he's, he's so thoughtful. Well, that, and this is another thing, I mean, and I don't know that, how, I mean, I'm sure you think about it all the time, but like so, so with digital cameras, some of these takes, they'll just go and go yeah. and go. They'll, sometimes they'll go for thirty minutes, yeah, of an uninterrupted take. And I, I think a lot of people don't necessarily think about the toll that takes on, yeah. like, a boom operator, for example, who's. Uh-huh. I mean, just as you're listening to the podcast, spend the next five minutes just with your arms in the air not even holding anything your right. arms are in the air and just just go about your business just do your thing right. maybe you're on a treadmill maybe you're if you're driving ignore what i'm saying obviously <laughs> keep your hands on the wheel please unless you have a tesla but use caution you know these self-driving cars do we trust them yet i don't know um but but yeah that's it's a, it's a huge uh, amount of effort and yeah. and especially if you're running around and you're and 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 you're holding a boom, which is, you know, they're 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 made intentionally to be as as light as they can be. I I would imagine. Uh, sure, but, they're made out of carbon fiber, right? But uh, but uh, when you when you hang anything off the end of it, it it gets heavy. When you extend it, you know, it's physics. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, there's there have been on occasions where I've had to interrupt the take and say, guys, we, we just need to cut. I've got to give a, give the crew a little bit of a break. And usually it's only happened a few times. And, and usually that's met with, Oh, good. Thank you. Somebody, somebody spoke up. <laughs> yeah, probably but so, the camera operator being yeah, like, Oh, yeah, thank God. yeah. Yeah. As long as we're not handheld. Um, but, uh, y- you know, it's, it's a thing, you know, and we have to really monitor that. I'm constantly talking to my guys on our private channel. Are you okay? You need a break. Mm-hmm. Do you know any break? And then, and thankfully, most of the time, we're if we're in a big wide shot, with when we're doing these long, long takes, we're not booming that. I'm doing it on the wires, and they're not having to to hold a 16 footer or 18 footer over their head um, for a, for a great length of time. There are occasions where that has uh, been the case, and and we do a few takes, and then we have to. You know, we have to call it because everybody needs a break. It's right. uh, just, it's uh, a health issue at that point. And, and, and I will say this, our team 
on Better Call Saul and pretty much all the teams that I work with are, you know, everybody is respectful of everybody's job mm -hmm. um, to the nth degree uh, on on Saul because it, it's it's a uh, every department excels on on our show. I, I it's a rare it's a rare uh, show that every every department convenes at such a high level. You know what I mean? No, I, I and I, I think that's that's certainly something that we, we hear kind of that's the, the common thread is yeah. is the sort of respect that people have for the the artistry that everybody brings to the table. That it's it's I mean somebody was saying this I think Peter was saying this on, on an uh, an earlier podcast that it's like they call it like the craft Emmys or the the, the technical <laughs> Emmys or whatever and he's like he's like there's no such thing as the technical or the it's all creative it's yeah. all art it's everybody's an artist and and you know whether they're working with you know the written word or microphones or ones and zeros like everybody is is collaborating as an artist and you know that that's I I, I think that that attitude I mean, it all starts at the top, right? And that attitude shows in the work that everybody does. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I like, I love the fact that you brought that up because you know the Creative Arts Emmys is is always the week before the 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 main primetime Emmys, and uh, uh, I will give a uh, a a nod to the Television Academy. I'm I'm a I'm a governor at the Television Academy, and. We often say that that the Creative Arts Emmys uh, is is really where the party is at. It uh, is, <laughs> and uh, the because uh, because we uh, we kind of let it all hang out at the yeah. Creative Arts Emmys. You know, they they don't you don't worry about what you say when you get up there because mm -hmm. it's they're, they're like, it's not oh, don't live worry on it. television. Don't worry about it. Just say what you want to say. Mm -hmm. You know, you let it fly, and then the the Governor's Ball afterwards for the Creative Arts Emmys, everybody goes. Everybody stays until they kick you out, and it's just so it's fun. The, it's the best party in town, yeah. right? And uh, and uh, I, I do know that the amount of alcohol consumed at the Creative Arts Emmys uh, far exceeds the primetime Emmys. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because those primetime Emmys, you, you know, it's it's a lot of it's a lot of actors, and mm -hmm. a lot of those actors, they're 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 stopping at the governor's ball and then they're going to some other party that they, that they are like obligated to go to the party after the party. Yeah. And, and a mm -hmm. lot of them, you know, actors tend to be, uh, health conscious or at least figure conscious, uh, more than say, you know, uh, we who are not on camera. And, uh, so there's, yeah, I, I can, I can totally see also we're just more fun. I, I would, I would add to that. I would, I would counter that, uh, not counter, but I would just add that the, the Ace Eddie Awards, I'm sure gives the governor's ball a run for their money, like per capita, as far as alcohol goes. Cause uh, yeah, the cause, sound, wow. the sound awards as well. Uh, sure. Yeah. The, the Eddie's and the, and the, uh, the CAS awards, we, uh, they, they're like, nope, we got to shut the bar down. Yeah. <laughs> they, I mean, they probably should shut it down a lot earlier than they do. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it's it's. Uh, I I want to say that we if we were not at the same table one year at the Creative we certainly Arts were. Emmys, we we, were, we yeah, sat at the same so. table a couple of times. That's right. I think mm -hmm. one year the year I maybe the year I brought my mom. That was awesome. Which was super fun. Um, she still talks about that. She's still like, so when are you gonna get an, another award nomination so we can go to another party and mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so you know some people they get uh, their 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 parents pestering them about when are you gonna have children. Uh, my mom. It's all about when you, when you get another award show, and uh, when you get another ticket to a party. Yeah, and uh, the answer is, uh, who cares? Awards are fun, and it's it really isn't. I mean, it's such a cliche, the honor to be nominated thing. But I really think that that is the award, is the nomination, and getting to be at the show and getting to go to the party, and you know, the 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 winner is often like a roll of the dice. And as far as what's popular right now and who things, who people know, what has been heard of. Yeah. I, I, to, to, to be nominated as one of the five best television shows for sound or for editing, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in a, in a category that has so many eligible participants, 
right. to get to get down to the final five mm-hmm. is the best award. I mean, I yeah. have. Like I have, I have hundreds. been, I, I do have a trophy, but let me tell you, I've been nominated a lot more than I have, that I've won. <laughs> and just to be nominated is, um, is really it, you know, yeah, I awesome. mean, it's just, it's just to be invited to the ball and, uh, and to see all of our friends and to, uh, you know, just to just to be counted among the best it's just really amazing and and uh, i really um, i mean i'm just the first of the sound chain you know uh when it hits me first i get it off of the actors and uh and then i hand it off to to you guys who do attempt but then then all of my stuff gets put through the soup with nick and his team and uh and then eventually it hits larry and kevin on the dub stage and so my stuff gets touched by a lot of people. So mm-hmm. so when it finally makes it to the screen and to the ears of the viewer, uh, there's been a lot of people that have had a lot of a lot of work on it. So um, I'm just grateful that we've we've been able to kind of you know lock together a good six seasons of some really good sounding television. I, it, it really is. It all st- like you just said. It, it all starts with you. And uh, and I know we're all incredibly grateful. I'm also being told that I should prepare for uh, Peter to come and work with me. <laughs> so I should probably uh, wrap <laughs> things up. But, uh, I, you know, we 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 try to we we generally wrap up uh, our episodes by having one of our guests do their best, like Bob Odenkirk, Saul Goodman style, Better Call Saul. Um, would you would you do the honors and take us out? You want me to take you out by saying, uh, uh, doing a Better Call Saul line? Yeah, well, like how he goes, you know, he just, you know, he goes, Better Call Saul. He he did it. Bob did it just like, ext- I, I think, or, or I can't remember how it happened. It was in the very first podcast and it happened. And then we were just like, I guess now this is what we do. This is this how, is what we do. It's All like right, Fight Club in death. Right. His name is Robert Paulson. Okay. So this is um, the sound mixer trying to imitate an actor. So just have that in your your brain, and this is this is Phil Palmer doing Bob Odenkirk. Better call Saul. Yeah.